Welcome back to Max Madness. All right, we all right. That is the that is the first time we've ever had to take a second go at the boop 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 boops. Um, so don't ever buy nice shit. It'll be too nice. It's yeah, yeah nice shit. Don't ever buy don't ever buy twenty dollar <laughs> condenser microphones. No, no, dynamic microphones, people. It's the yes. way of the future. Uh, and actually, it's the way of the way past that we've just been ignoring for whatever reason because we thought we were better than that. Because uh, we're assholes. Yeah. Inside baseball talk over. Uh, we have. Some corrections this week to start out with, as we always do. By the way, this is Mark Madness. Uh, You know that, but you may not. I don't know. You may have been coming off of our polls episode, and this may be the first time you've heard us. And if it is starting at chapter four, I don't understand people, David. Obviously, based on my interactions with them and my my general demeanor, it's quite obvious I don't understand. We don't even have a reverse timeline like most podcasts. The latest episode's buried in the back. Yeah, I know. We do that intentionally, but at the same time, someone may have tried. Some soul may have ventured forward. I'm Nathan. I'm David. Yeah, and we do the thing where we talk about uh, theory. Yeah. Um, but we also do the thing where if someone sends us a correction on Twitter, uh, uh, we're going to talk. Or in Gmail. Or, or in Gmail. At, or, so the Twitter is marksmadnesspod at uh, twitter.com. No, at, at marksmadnesspod on Twitter. You know, uh, <laughs> all right, old man yells at Cloud. You get your, you don't, don't you get, don't you get, old fucking, man. Don't you get fucking <laughs> sassy over there on me. If, like, if everyone's wondering, uh, Nathan is the one that does like collaborations, communications. He does all the good stuff. He puts all the hard work into it. And I'm the old man who yells at clouds that got him more into these books. Yeah. Exa- well, we all have our role. Um, <laughs> but in this case, um, it was at, we are the correction was target. And this is something we've kind of gone back and forth on. And there's a reason I didn't prep you for it beforehand, because okay. I, I, I kind of I'm Son curious what. Yeah. No, because I'm an asshole is really yeah, the, the yeah. biggest reason. Um, but it was on our uh, when we were trying to interpret third worldism. Oh, we've re- okay. we've had we've run into it a couple times in yeah. in Wretched of the Earth. Yeah. Is is what it, you know third worldism versus what is Mao's interpretation of it versus everything else? Um, yeah, because I mean I have I have a little bit of a, a flyover, but one thing we've noticed here, and one thing we encourage people is like you want to read the theory, get it firsthand, and I'll admit I. I have not read Mao we on Third World. We are going to get to Mao sooner rather than later. Yeah, and so we'll we will talk have better about... answers for the yeah. future. But for, um, but for, for right now, this is okay. what we got. Now, again, the, the nature of this di- the nature of this dialogue is if you hear this and you think that's 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 some nonsense and some shenanigans, yeah. you can come into Twitter. You know, we have we are open to dialogue, people, but this yeah. is what someone someone felt the need to reach out. If anyone feels strongly enough that they want to let us know their side of it, I always would like sure. to give them some air as long as it's not, you know, nonsense. Sure. This doesn't sound like nonsense. So again, this is back to Paul Bolshevers on Twitter. Um, at uh, they 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 have an at that we'll uh, we'll link to. No, we won't. We won't link to it. What am I talking about? We won't do that. It's Krahotkin. It's Krahotkin, guys. All right. So you kind of can get a uh, there. There may be a little Krahotkin puns in oh, there. Oh boy. So, no, it's not bad. Um. So his his tweets were as follows. Uh, Mao's Three Worlds Theories argues that the first world is America and the USSR because of imperialism slash social imperialism. Oh. The second world is Japan, Canada, and Europe, and the third world is everyone else. Hmm. Now, okay. I have not done the basic fact-checking to see if that's actually what Mao said. Yeah. So I am taking it on, on faith here that that is what that is, and if we are Yeah, because I think wrong, what we presented is what I had heard in the past, which was yeah. like first world, capitalist and imperialist core, uh-huh. second world, socialists- uh, led by by USSR and the third world is is everybody else and apparently that I mean obviously we're getting a correction so that now that, that could also work. again this could be again we we know we live in a there's a there's a little bit of there, there might be a small amount of factionalism in the left mm-hmm. so uh, if we've read Black Bolshevik you <laughs> should be it. you should be well aware of that factionalism at yeah. this point and third but, worldism is a big divide on that factionalism it is. because it, on paper from what I, it's gotten to me and what I yeah. understand of it sounds. Sounds cool. Sounds great. But I also understand that there's a lot of like Mao's third world, this movements that supported some very uh, pro-imperialist balkanization stuff in the 70s and 80s. And I don't I don't know how, you know, I mean, factionalism certainly going to factor in here. So this got to and, and so the person the person was openly they said they're trying word this is non compatibly as possible. Yeah. Uh, but basically they thought that's where the MLM camp thought Mao was incorrect because it was positioning the USSR. Even, you know, it was Khrushchev's USSR. So yeah. are arguably the worst version of you at the worst, you know, timeline USSR. <laughs> sure. But the, that, that well, system over, over Pizza Hut boys. That posi- that, that model positions the USSR on some level uh, as worse than France and England. Yeah. Like in the first world social imperialist countries. Like, yeah. That seems much more like right at the Sino Soviet split. Uh, uh yeah. 
And that if that's when this theory was. So we were basically conflating it with the three worlds model, which is by as this as, as this person said, some Alfred dude. Okay. And as I, a man after my own spirit, because that's exactly how I would fucking describe that dude, because I don't know who the fuck he is. He is some <laughs> Alfred dude to me. Shout outs to Krahak. And I love you. You, you get me. You've got me, dude. Um, but they treat the third, the three worlds as the U.S. and friends, the USSR and friends, and then everyone else. Gotcha. So apparently that is a hyper distinct thing from Mao's interpretation. Gotcha. So we were not. So third worldism predates Mao's third worldism. Gotcha. Um, and that it, it kind of causes some problems. He's curious about the timeline. And and so and on the timeline on this, we've established this was written during the 60s. Yeah. Yeah. This was uh, early 60s. Early 60s. So he. uh Basically, the the theory here is is that we may be giving Mao a little bit of a pass, yeah, for calling third world like th- coming up with, for making three worlds theory when there was already a three worlds model. Gotcha. Uh, okay. And and it just it, it, it obviously in our case it was something we conflated. It's easy to conflate even if sure. you kind of are dipping into this. Sure. Um, and it seems very very much baked in the Sino-Soviet split kind of yeah. politics. Yeah. Um the the emo- so I I don't again, I'm not we we will this now kind of necessitates and I'm going to try and find something short on it, but I we need to do some reading. Yeah. Uh, some more reading on Mao. We've obviously already done on practice, but we need to do a little bit more on Mao, especially around this time, because I do think the Sino-Soviet split is, I mean, obviously wildly important. Yeah. Um, but this now, obviously, there's obviously some tension here, and I would be curious to to kind of read into sure. it, trying to read sure. the primary sources on it and get to the, get to some sort of bottom of it, as it were. Sure. Um, also, to touch on that again, <clears throat> you know, this is something, and so it's fun to speak up on a correction about something I I still need to read Mao to 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 make sure I do get right. Yep. Uh, but. Through osmosis, my understanding so far, just like we kind of had that of the third world, uh, is my understanding of a revisionism is about revision of histories against the like anti-Stalinism campaign. And that's in service of a right deviation towards liberalism. And a yeah. lot of people uh, think revisionism is any right deviation towards liberalism. And so then they call like China now revisionist. And, and so – Assuming I I am right in that, and hopefully we'll get to Mao to confirm that or to correct me. Um, please God, <laughs> stop yeah. using the term revisionism for any kind of right deviation, especially since sometimes that right deviation is felt to be a necessity and is is more in the the orthodox Marxist sense of developing the means of production, and industrializing through liberalism to then seize them, um, because that is something that's been done with mixed economies in Asian countries. I, I, I think at some point, and I don't know if we're we're going to be the ones that do it, but somebody somewhere, god damn it. I think I've actually talked to Brent about doing this and I just never get around to it because I, I have no time it feels like anymore. Yeah. Um, is just, we need to fucking explain definitions. We, <laughs> d- the left desperately needs, because I feel like half of our arguments are we're yeah. arguing over like we're saying different things about the same stuff, but we're we're like we're using a word to mean two totally different things. Yeah, well, and and there's two there's two planes of that. One is that I mean we understand things as social constructs, and once a social contract changes, what's socially accepted is the material reality in front of you. But sometimes language doesn't always work like that, and because then you can go back and you can change the definition of a word, and then go back and look at old words, and then preach from those old words under a different definition, and then misconstrue what they say, and it's a very big opportunity for uh, opportunism. Um, So, you know, we really need to pick and choose which words have have evolved and are useless and are garbage and which words we need to clarify what the actual goddamn definition is because people use other people not knowing the definition to lie. Or at least, yeah, and and I think it's important that we, and I think we did this, I think we did this for the first time during Black Bolshevik, Mm -hmm. um, was explaining, again, when we say left deviation, right deviation, kind of go, okay, here's how we're, whether or not we're right or wrong, here's how we're interpreting and using those words. Here is the the language game. Oh my God, I used a Wittgenstein turn in context. (laughs) Kill me. Kill me. Come, come, Rob, somebody, somebody fly down and kill me. Kill me now. I don't deserve this. We have not tapped to the old philosophy degree in several oh, episodes. It just, it just came. Oh, ooh, <laughs> I feel dirty. That's what you get for torturing me with Milton Friedman. That's no, I, David. David, I will make you read Wittgenstein, and you will <sighs> rue the day. You will beg me for Friedman. You will beg on bended knee for Friedman if you have to suffer through that insufferable 
fucking pedant. Um, but that being said, uh, again, we love corrections. Bring them on. Um, we also uh, value what you guys think. And to yep. that end, we're gonna we're gonna do a little bit of the house. We're gonna do all our housekeeping up top this time. Yeah, <laughs> like we used to do. Like we used, you know, like we didn't do last time. Um, so we're coming to a we're coming fairly. Well, I say fairly quickly. Um, we're coming to a crossroads at some time in the next, you know, mm. calendar year where we're going to have to pick another book. And yeah. we had always said that our goal was to uh, do we were going to do Redskins White Mask because it felt like a pretty natural mm-hmm. transition from and, uh, from this. And oh. that's still somewhere on the dock in the sooner rather than later. But we don't know. Like we're we're still trying to work out because that's not in the public domain. How yeah. much we can read that or how we're gonna do that? Yeah. So, so to say it's next is still possible, but that's not guaranteed. Yeah. Uh, and even if we do it next, we will know. We need to know what's after it. If not, we're gonna need to know what we're doing before it. Yeah. 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 And so again, Doctor, if 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 someone knows Doctor Cathard wants to like get him to like reach out to us and like <laughs> say hey, you can read out. like come on the show and say hey, like hey, hey, we can talk about my I, book. I might nervously attempt to send out an. an I've a tried. Leaf. I've typed it up. I've typed up that email four times and hit delete because i'm like oh my god what am i doing um but yeah no it's so again that one is not i I just want to be clear that we're not backing off of that one because we don't want to read it it's because we kind of slapped our heads and went oh wait a minute that's a book that a guy like makes money off of we probably can't just read that verbatim on our stupid podcast yes but i mean we we absolutely think it's something we want to dive into and we absolutely want to collaborate with bands of turtle island uh, again yeah on that and uh, again you know go listen to bands of turtle island yeah that that more importantly um but so there's there's been a couple in in the in the off chance that we don't do that uh as i've seen it we kind of have three different roads we could go down and again this is something i have not talked to you about except sort of a little bit on one of them yeah he's jumping me with all these subjects uh, it's because i feel like we get it we, we get a better reaction when we do it live <laughs> um so the first option, um, and, and definitely the most intense option, but definitely a good option, um, would be, we would go to W.E.B. Du Bois, uh, black reconstruction in America. Okay. Um, that's a solid, solid option. It's, it, 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 I think it ties a lot of the last in the same way that our arc from capital is capital to state and rev to imperialism. Uh, in my opinion, was kind of an arc. It was kind of the the how it was the Marxist Leninist branch as 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 quickly as we could get there. Yeah, of what that thought is. Yeah, I mean, it, I had a beaten path like yeah through imperialism, and then Fanon was a pretty logical turn. I up to this point, it's it's plotted out now a little bit. Now now we're just in like God. There's a lot out there, and we need to go a direct exactly. So I'm trying to think of the most coherent way. And so Fanon, I count Haywood in that uh in that group. So I count Black Bolshevik in mm-hmm. the Fanon. So it'd be Fanon Black Bolshevik because everyone again, you can all we will link that episode in the description. Um, but but go listen to that for the love of God because it's going to inform almost ever the way we talk going forward. Yeah. is going to be informed by that book. So yeah. it's just, it, it is important to listen to. Yes. Um, then I, I thought Black Reconstruction in America would do a very good job of, again, tying this back to, while Redskins White Mass would tie it back to the indigenous population of America, Black Reconstruction would tie it back to the, I still, and correct me if I'm wrong, the largest oppressed group in this country is still absolutely, I mean, by size, is still African American. I believe so, yes. yes. Yeah, and it's not even, not to, not to, not, we're not trying to like rank oppression rankings here. Or no, you should like never that. get into that kind of Yeah, race. we're not going to get into that game. And, but, and when you do, it's, it, people use a term, and something I support is, is not just saying people of color, but black and indigenous people of color. Yes. Those two are still linked together, but yes. pure size. It's, and, it's, and I think yeah. that is a, if there's something I, if there's something I learned reading Black Bolshevik is that I, uh, there is a lot, more tied up in that mm-hmm. in that history that is mark that is explicitly marxist that we don't talk about so yeah. talking about american marxist movements um is always something i like to do because again well, I, I like talking about I, I and again the next one we'll get into mm-hmm. and all of that but i like to see what has happened here what has worked and what hasn't worked here because if any this is a theory podcast but I'd like to I'd like to do some revolution, guys, and so yeah. knowing how it worked and didn't work here, I think is an important. Well, yeah, thing I mean, what, what's theory for, right? You know, exactly. Um, another thing about that too is uh, W. B. Du Bois. I mean, again, we still will want to get into Redskins White Mass. We're still going to want to collaborate with Bands of Turtle Island, but um, W. B. E. B. Du Bois, out of all of the Black revolutionaries, to my understanding, had the closest or best relationship with Indigenous nations. Yes, he also. Uh, 
So and, I, I don't know if that book touches on it, but it, it may. I, I would imagine. And it's uh it also helped I one of the uh a a a scholar on W. E. B. Du Bois mm-hmm. um also happens to be one of my ex professors that I have a oh, decent okay. relationship with <laughs> had a decent relationship with. So I would actually uh I would actually be curious to reach out that article I okay. linked to you okay. um is yeah. is from him. So I'd be curious uh to I think that would be interesting to see academically how that how that looks. But yeah, the yeah. Doubt- you gotta be a little careful with academics and 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 yeah. but again, you know, academics he's, also have a lot of information. Yeah, he's a he's 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 a cool dude. Uh <laughs> I don't know how to explain Jack Knight. <laughs> Um, he's a good guy. Academics, uh, academics can be good. Just, just he, not, as a whole, they could be a little, little finicky. The man, the man came in with a. a Proles has got academics in that podcast, and Proles is good. So the I man mean, came in every day, every day with a black cup of BK coffee, <laughs> and just, just kind of toddled. Around. He, oh, he was a, he's, he's a delightful gentleman. I, I love. He's, he's very, he's very Missouri. But uh, so the only downside, the only reason that I don't hundred percent say plow through and do Black Reconstruction America no matter what. Is the book is seven hundred and sixty six pages? Yeah. Um. So it'd be a long time till we're done. It, so if if that is what you guys want, if that's the if that's the direction you want to go, if you think, hey, I you know, in the choose your own adventure style here, you know, that's the book I'd like to read. And again, I think that is something that we can do. Yeah. That we can do a service with because that's a that's a big book that people may not pick up otherwise. Yeah. Um. So if if that's you know if that's what you want to do, seven hundred sixty six pages of W. B. Du Bois. We will see you in twenty twenty one. Um. <laughs> and I'm only kind of joking uh so option two is what we kind of talked about already today which is we definitely definitely the weakest link on both of our chains is mal yes of the major mlm collection um and so i think there is definitely now mao is interesting because most so much of his writing seems sh- uh to be collect collections yeah uh, yeah and and there are a lot of short works and we have i mean it's not like we haven't done mao we've done on practice but. we've done on practice but on practice uh, compared to anything we've read is definitely the shortest thing we've read sure. by a country mile sure and we could do like a few pieces of mao almost as if it were chapters i mean in a yeah we yeah. could read a co- we could read a mao collection in yeah. chapters in that yeah, sense we if could, we wanted to we could do uh little red book essentially is yeah i don't know uh, if a little red book would work that's more a book as I read, I read that that's more af- like short. That's very short aphorisms. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, much, much more in the green book. Like eh, the green book's probably a little bit different too. Um, we could read the green book. That'd be fun. No. <laughs> um, but uh, no. But now, I mean, we would definitely we would put some stuff together from. I would reach sure. out to some some people and get again. If that's the route you want to go, if you're like, hey, I'd like to learn more about Mao, press two on your dial tone phones now. Um, and our operators are standing by. Option three. Is always it was always in my head the third one we were gonna go to, um, and I don't. Again, it's one that I have zero experience with, but but have heard things about. Um, would be uh dipping our toe into Gramsci. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and because it's good because he's got some interesting stuff about what you run into when you're doing this. In, in more of a, a quote unquote first world country in a developed country versus where these revolutions have happened. And the thing, the things about Gramsci that interests me again, just, just to, for, for why mm-hmm. I would want to do Gramsci. Um, again, first world organized in a first world country in an industrialized country, um, organized during a period of heavy, 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 uh, fascist influence. Yes. <laughs> um, organ, uh, so again, uh, he is a person that organized directly counter to fascist now uh, most of his writing came from jail yeah so maybe you know maybe there's something to be said that, that we got to learn from there uh, there was did you see that tweet this week no. oh so fucking good someone had pointed out it was because labor in england was talking about something and someone says someone said that labor was gramscian which oh my god i wish labor was gramscian that'd be great <laughs> but the guy was like yeah i've never understood the fascination with gramscian i mean he did a lot of his writing from prison so like obviously it didn't really work that well <laughs> And just the list of people going, yeah, that Einstein guy died. What a fucking dickhole. Who would read fucking Einstein? Like letters from a, you know, Alabama jail or something like, like, like what the fuck are you talking about? Just yeah. dumb people being dumb. But, uh, but yeah, so that would be again, Gramsci, Gramsci has always been an interesting figure, um, mm-hmm. and left it to me. But again, I think 
personally that right now is my third third tier because I don't I yeah think- I would definitely because because Mao's been such a big influence um and also because you know we're we're focusing I mean this is all for revolution and we're focusing on where we are and and people are having trouble comprehending we're the imperial core yeah but this also needs to be decolonial movement that's not just an okay thing we get to later that's a primal part of this oh my god yeah it's a core tenant of yeah what we've and, and it's a core tenant of what we talked about the, from the get-go on this it's why yeah fanon was the next natural read here and it's why again i i think we talked about that we wanted to we wanted to try and keep as many Stay away from as many old dead white dudes as humanly possible sure. on this show. Sure. Um, and I mean, and something I want people to understand, you know, I mean, we, we kind of have this like this, this three directional, you know, thing where we're going, we're going for a decolonial movement and, and liberating, you know, black nationalism, uh, liberating indigenous nations, you know, all those things. It, it, it's primal and, and needed. And as we figured out in black Bolshevik, that, that helps and that's intertwined, uh, with the class struggle. We had the class struggle to eliminate class. Uh, in one of the most e- unequal countries in, in history. Um, and of course we have the anti-imperialist movement and they're all intertwined. They all help each other and they all are distinct battles and erasing any one of them does a disservice to all three and thinking we did one, we accomplished all of them does a disservice to all three. Yep. Uh, but that doesn't mean that if, you know, we gain a, an enormous victory or a power turning over victory in one of them first, Instead yeah. of all three at the exact same time that we failed, like it's okay if we do the the anti imperialism one first, but only because it worked out that way. We should be fighting on all three fronts at all times. Yep. And and so I do. I don't want to like make the focus on decolonial where we just stop caring about class or stop caring about anti imperialism or stop caring about fascism, you know, down our throats uh, as an immediate threat. But we've got to be conscious of all three battles, and not just conscious, but actively fighting all three battles. At all times. Yeah. And realizing how they support each other and how everyone is worthwhile, even independently ignoring the support for each other. Yeah. And so uh, to tie, so to tie it all back again, we, we, I think have our internal preferences as to where we want to go. Um, spoiler alert. My, my pick, if, 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 if this is just me in a nutshell is to do Mao only because I think Mao could get done in a reasonable amount of time for yeah. us. Um, I'm talking like <laughs> first quarter of 2020, we could be yeah. done with Mao. Yeah, we could I- read almost, we could read a lot of Mao. Uh, and, yeah. And there, and, and, and China is a very, 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 if you're if you're reading theory and trying to understand theory or trying to talk about theory online, China is constantly, constantly, constantly the biggest thing that you have to talk about nowadays because it just it's there all the time. Yeah, and there's so much disinformation to fight, and I feel like getting into Mao will through doing the context part force us to get into more of that, which I'm always interested in. Um, and then it would be a strong con- again. I, I I could also very easily be swayed. To want to do Black Reconstruction America because that's just yeah. I mean, devil's advocate here after reading Black Bolshevik and with the battle, where it's seeing God. Black Reconstruction America seems like the the priority, especially if so you know good. if we're having trouble getting going with with Doctor Cothard and have yeah. to do the collaboration with um uh Bands of Turtle Island, kind of as as like an isolated episode in the middle there, the way we did it with with proles with, with yeah. Black Bolshevik, yeah. Um, you know, then definitely at least that would keep us all in the same vein. So. There's my devil's advocate, but I would have no problem with any of the three choices, although I would agree with Nathan with keeping Gramsci third, but it is up to the listeners. And so. that's really what it comes down to is, yeah. is you guys. So, so, so I Mark, will, Mark's I will. at gmail.com. Yep. Uh, there, Nathan, um, is, is also, uh, probably going to put some kind of link. I will put, I'll put a link. I'll put a link in the description, but more importantly, I'll put a, uh, I'll put a Twitter poll up yep. of the three, kind of the three options and, Again, if you it don't if you don't have Twitter, email us. Your voice will be just as heard as everybody else's. But mm-hmm. we're gonna try and get as much uh, as much crowd feedback as humanly possible. Yeah, so we're and, not- and fear not, the Twitter poll tells the number of votes, not just the percentage, so we can factor in your emails just as. Well. Yes, 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 yes. We have we have the technology. And, we'll be fine. And if you were really really obsessed uh, with doing it the a, a different way, um, we do have a PO box, but. It better get to us in time. We're not going to know. Uh, I was about to say, if your if <laughs> you your preferred right method, away. if your preferred method of telling us what book you'd like us to read is to send it to the PO box, 
Mail it tomorrow. I no, don't ma- don't know. Get what are you doing? You have email. You're listening to this. This is a podcast. I didn't mail this to you. You have something to listen to this on. Email me, damn it. Um. Okay. So at roughly the 25 minute mark, yeah, uh, we're gonna start reading. Fanon. You want to start reading Fanon? Yes. Yes. So, all right. All right. So we're gonna delve into chapter four on natural culture, and it's gonna start on what culture? On national culture. Okay, not natural culture, which no, is what you said. I'm sorry. I bet national culture. Um, it's going to start with a uh, a short, um, I guess it's not really a poem, it's a quote uh, from uh, Ahmed Siko Turi. Uh, and it's going to say, to take part in the African Revolution, it is not enough to write a revolutionary song. You must fashion the revolution with the people. And if you fashion it with the people, the songs will come by themselves and of themselves. In order to achieve real action, you must yourself be a living part of Africa and of her thought. You must be an element of that popular energy, which is entirely called forth for the freeing, the progress, and the happiness of Africa. There is no place outside that fight for the artist and for the intellectual who is not himself concerned with and completely at one with the people in the great battle of Africa and of suffering humanity. I'm going to go ahead and say that uh, Toto's Africa was not a song for the revolution of Africa. Um, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to stake my claim there <laughs> that I don't think Toto really had the revolutionary just, spirit of I, Africa in their they, heart they when could, they sang they could that. Carry a, a not an oppressive note, but a long note. Yeah, uh, yeah, but uh, yeah. not not so much the hearts of of African people. No, I don't. I'd, I'd love a poll to see what the what the opinion of that song is I, in Africa. I, I imagine. Not imagine. It's I imagine good. it's not positive. No, no, I would bet not. Um, but something to take out of that because that's that's a good summary. I, I I don't mean to stop so something quickly. To take out of Africa by Toto. No, no, I no. Mean, take out of the quote by Sikatrik. Okay. Well, I mean, I was confused. Uh, is you know something he's leading into is you have to break yourself of of intellectualism. You're not doing the art for art. You're doing the you're fighting for the people and then the art spurs from it. Um, so really keep that quote in your back pocket. You're going to see a lot of that thought evolve uh, in this chapter, especially when we get to the three phases part. Um, Look at David doing his reading. Ahead yeah, I thing. know. I'm showing off that foreshadowing <laughs> instead of doing what Nathan does, where he's guessing what he might say next. Ooh, <laughs> fancy boy. So Fanon continues, each generation must out of relative obscurity, discover its mission, fulfill it or betray it. In underdeveloped countries, the preceding generations have both resisted the work or erosion carried by colonialism and also helped on the maturing of the struggles of today. We must rid ourselves of the habit, now that we are in the thick of the fight, of minimizing the action of our fathers, of feigning comprehension when considering their silence and passivity. They fought as well as they could with the arms that they possessed then, and if the echoes of their struggle have not resounded in the international arena, we must realize that the reason for this silence lies less in their lack of heroism than in the fundamentally different international situation of our time. It needed more than one native to say we've had enough, more than one peasant rising crushed, more than one demonstration put down, before we could today hold our own, certain in our victory. As for we who have decided to break the back of colonialism, our historic mission is to sanction all revolts, all desperate actions, all those abortive attempts downed in rivers of blood. Um, again, you know, we we touched on how we read Ma- on Mao's on practice. That makes me feel a lot like when Mao talks about, you know, learning from mistakes. A failure is not a failure. It's a yeah. mistake to learn from and to carry this forward. Well, a failure is not a failure if you learn from it. Well, yeah, that's true. That's true. As long as you're using it and learning from it, as long as you yeah. don't forget the lessons of it. Because that's something that we do see is is we're not doing a very good – we don't do a very good job of that. Yeah. Um. In the last hundred years. And I don't think that's, I think that is, again, I think that's, there's, there's a, a concentrated effort to make it hard for us to remember yeah. our mistakes and learn from them because they get erased from history pretty easily. Yeah. But we definitely, 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 uh, I mean, you see it all the time, just general electoral politics. Mm-hmm. You see it all the time, you know, keep running out the same people with the same shitty messages, the same bad strategies and keep getting your asses kicked and wondering, well, I wonder why we didn't win this time. Yeah. And I mean, well, think about that, right? Think about all the failings of people. I mean, we talk about this all the time with, um, uh, now I can't remember Wall Street. Um, Gordon Gecko, Lehman Brothers. The protests and occupy. occupy. Thank you. <laughs> I could have kept going, but I knew what he wanted. <laughs> Son of a bitch. I just wanted to keep. I wanted to make him suffer. <laughs> so anyway, um, you know, we talk about those Occupy Wall Street. You know, we talk about this uh, when you remember back to like Salvador Allende. You know, I mean, you you shouldn't. Yeah, we all remember back to Salvador Allende. Not- <laughs> 
<laughs> super easily. We all do. All of us. Everyone. Right, guys? Yeah. But guys? I, whether we talk about local struggles or international struggles, we shouldn't look down on these revolutionaries. Look how they failed. Look can, how they screwed up. Look can, at their shortcomings. Can you explain Salvador Allende, please? God damn it. I, was, I couldn't have prompted you any harder. Are you Are you serious? We don't, I'm being okay. very serious. Oh explain my God. Allende. Okay. Okay. All right. So um, Chile was this uh, wonderful place in the early 70s uh, where a – and again, you know, you have to go through electoralism sometimes in some of these uh, oppressed countries. You don't always have the situation. Evo Morales. Yeah, yeah. Like Evo Morales um, did who was just cooed because – and that that very much, you know, uh, it was along the lines of, of what they did to Tyande. Uh, they did it um, – too very recently, I can't think of the n- name of the leader in 2009 in Honduras. Uh, and it was along the same lines too. Uh, it'll come to me later. Anyway, um, but it, spoiler alert, it won't. It won't shut up. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know, you see these coups in Honduras and in Chile in 73, uh, just now in Bolivia. They attempted it in Venezuela, uh, not just in 2002, uh, with Chavez, but but uh, they attempted it and failed very, very hard, didn't get to the coup part uh, against Maduro uh, last year. Um, but basically what it is is people can get elected and actually reform in certain third world countries. Sometimes that, that situation actually presents itself and they, of course, are going to have to up defenses and they're going to have to be, quote unquote, uh-oh, authoritarian, as they'll get accused of anyway, um, to defend themselves. But it's not like we can look at Allende and go, oh, he failed. He He took the guns away. How could it be so foolish? But we should be able to look at him and go, okay, well, we know that, that, you know, being anti-gun, as much as it's a concern for people and their safety, can backfire on us very, very easily. So, so I'm, I'm doing this by pure extrapolation because you yes. still didn't explain it to me. Yes. Uh, so I'm assuming Allende was an elected leader of, uh, of, of Chile, Chile. Yes. and, uh, did a, did a thing where he took away the people's, people's guns. And well, then yeah, that got, was, that was part of his reforms, but uh, most of his reforms cooed. were social, social welfare. And he got cooed, uh, by a fat, U.S. backed fascist named Augusto Pinochet. Okay. I knew Pinochet. I got, yes. I knew Pinochet. I just didn't know who Pinochet took. Yes. See, Salvador Allende was, was the, the leader in Chile in the early 70s. You gotta think of you gotta think of my knowledge of I'm world history sorry. as a weird map. It's a it's and it's it's like a puzzle and like. 60% of the pieces are there on the table. And yeah. then I got all these other weird ones over there. Oh, and yeah. they've got names like Allende on them. And I don't know where the fuck that one goes. But if you put okay. it, if you say it goes next to the Pinochet one, yes. I can go, oh, okay. It's with the Pinochet one. Yeah. And then, yeah. They, so, and then the puzzle. So he's, he's kind of, he was kind of in that like Chavez, Morales, kind of like, uh, you know, elected and then social reform, uh, social democrat, uh, from, you know, Latin America, part of the pink yeah. wave. Okay. You know, kind of, uh, type leader. Uh, so he was the one that, of course, Milton Freeman, you know, got a Chicago boy ass to, to mm. back a U.S. back coup and mm. destroyed that country with a fascist that would throw people out of fucking helicopters. Yes, he in did. In 73. Yes, um, he did. Uh, and Allende is a very, very cool, you know, socialist guy. Um, you should really look into uh, his views. People would would look at, you know, a moderate social democrat and they would not think he would have the positive things he had to say about Stalin because people don't understand uh, that a lot of people in the third world understand socialism as a large solidarity movement. They understand how these movements work off of each other. And Allende was very keen to that. Yeah, it's he just, was. Yeah. He just looked at elections as his way to power in his situation. He, well, he wasn't against violence. You also don't have you also think any country that wasn't directly the. It, in the Cold War, yeah, is not going to have this negative opinion of, of of Stalin that everyone else. Does. I mean, again, our our views of Stalin are are through a very 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 particular lens, yeah, because yeah. of the generations of propaganda that have come and gone since. Oh, sure, sure, but I was also, you know, I mean, just using Stalin as as kind of a litmus. He was not someone who was against like Marxist Leninism and ah, and, and and violent revolution. He just felt in his situation the best step to take towards revolution was to run for election in that case yeah. even if he didn't necessarily believe in electoralism in general he was elected he started carrying out reforms for his people uh some of those reforms included taking away guns to prevent you know violence in domestic settings and um that and a few other things kind of backfired although i don't know if that would have saved him um, but that is something easily to point to as, as something to learn from those material conditions. Um, yeah, don't take people. I mean, we, yeah. we, I think we're pretty adamant. I don't think anyone on the, 
on the Marxist left at this point yeah. ever advocates for disarming the populace at any level. Just, yeah. It just doesn't ha- you don't hear about it at yeah, all. But, but Allende is a good, good example of you can't say like, look, you, you know, he, he failed because he went towards electoralism and he took the guns away and da, da, da. We should be able to say, okay, he did the best he could in his situation. And even in that situation, we could see where these crevices open up. And so we've got to be careful how we go about it. We've got to learn lessons from that and do the best we can. And you could see Venezuela learn those lessons. Yeah. You know, yep. and that was a big help. And Bolivia certainly has tried to learn those lessons, but those coup attempts were were pretty powerful, and and Bolivia just hadn't quite built up um, some of that power and some of that uh, nationalism within the military that Venezuela had. Yeah. So, um, and unfortunately, some of those nationalists were still very anti-indigenous in Venezuela or in Bolivia too. Yeah. 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 We are definitely definitely seeing the yeah. remnants of that. Uh, in this chapter, we shall analyze a problem which is felt to be fundamental of the legitimacy of claims of a nation. It must be recognized that the political party which mobilizes the people hardly touches on this problem of legitimacy. The political parties start from the living reality, and it is in the name of this reality, in the name of the stark facts which weigh down the present and the future of men and women, that they fix their line of action. The political party may well speak in moving terms of the nation, but what it is concerned with is that the people who are listening understand the need to take part in the fight if, quite simply, they wish to continue to exist. Political party's job is to educate people. Uh, well, uh, well and, a and revolutionary party's a revolutionary job is to educate yes, people. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, today, we know that in the first phase of national struggle, colonialism tries to disarm national demands by putting forward economic doctrines. <laughs> as soon as the first demands are set out, colonialism pretends to consider them, recognizing with uh, ostentatious humility that the territory is suffering from serious underdevelopment, which necessitates a great economic and social effort. And in fact, it's so happens that certain spectacular measures, centers of work for the underemployed, which are opened here and there, for example, delay the crystallization of national consciousness for a few years. Ah, that's a that's an important one. Mm-hmm. I, I, Finish, finish the paragraph, finish sure. the paragraph, but I want to go back to that. Sure. But sooner or later, colonialism sees that not within its powers to put into practice a project of economic and social reforms, which will satisfy the aspirations of the colonized people. Even where food supplies are concerned, colonialism gives proof of its inherent incapability. The colonialist state quickly discovers that if it wishes to disarm the nationalist parties on strictly economic questions, then it will have to do it in the colonies exactly what it is refused to do in its own country. It is not mere chance that almost everywhere today, flourishes the doctrine of Cartierism. A Cartierism. Uh, the fuck's that talking about? Uh, I'm, you know what? Okay, so I'm not really sure. There is a, a big French jewelry company called Cartier, and I did try to research that, and, and this kind of context is usually what, what we gun for in this podcast, yeah. but I could not find shit on who the hell Cartier is. Okay, so so in the meantime, then, let's go back to that, uh, the, the, the work, you know, putting up places for workshops for the unemployed mm-hmm. yes. kind yes, of yes, turns yes. it off. Um, it, it, that I think is a, a really good, a, a very prominent example of the kind of things you're going to see mm-hmm. as capitalism starts having its, its death throes. Yeah. When it starts spasming, when they start, when, when you get to a point that it needs like an FDR level rehabilitation, mm-hmm. um, you're going to see offers of things like that put up. Well, um, we see some level of that now. I mean, that's the nonprofit industrial complex, right? They they depend on survival, on dependency on them, right? But then they're going to have the resources to go in and say, look, we're feeding you. And I can't tell someone to not eat. We've talked about this. You've got to survive to have a revolution. And regardless of the revolution, you got your goal is to survive. And that but that goes back to what I'm talking about mm-hmm. is yeah. that's when you get to the point that capital when, when people are you're going to have people in need in yeah. desperate, desperate need. Um, those, when they start throwing out those life preservers and stuff like that, you have to be able to, if, if you're not able to provide a value, a, a viable counter offer to that to mm-hmm. say, okay, oh, well, they're, they're doing this. Well, here's our solution for how we were going to do mm-hmm. this. You're, that's, that's a, again, a thing to learn from. Yeah. The new de- and, and that's not to say that you can't use, 
their life preservers as a jumping off point. Like people don't have to wait while you're gathering resources to do that. But you do have to like let people know like you're where you can be turned to. You know, you can't just send people to the capitalists to solve things and then roll on this theory and politically educate people. It's important to know that that those life preservers are coming from a very disingenuous place. But you have to have an alternative. And in the meantime, you know, I mean, think about a food pantry, right? You and me aren't going to go out tomorrow and just start a food pantry from scratch. We don't have the resources. And could you imagine how many people depend on a food pantry if we realized we didn't have the resources and then shut down? If we didn't know what we we're doing first and you shut down a food pantry, that leaves a lot of people in deep need in a very, very bad place. But then, you know, a lot of these like, you know, feeding whatever uh, nonprofits in the nonprofit industrial complex come from a place where they they want to perpetuate that dependency and they they want to offset, you know, I mean, employers will give a little bit there so they can give a little bit less in wages and people have a way to survive and they can advertise how they're giving back, you know, and and blah, 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 yeah. right? And, and so you have to politically educate people, but it is hard to politically educate people when you point to where they're getting food and going, those people feeding you, they're screwing you over and you don't have a way to feed them. And that's, I think that's where it just becomes... It becomes incumbent that we we start the on get that stuff in place ahead of time because we we saw this in Black yeah. Bolshevik. When was the most ripe time for organizing during in America? When was the most ripe time we saw? Well, it was during it, it was during the depression. Yeah, it was in the lead. It was right as the depression hit. It wasn't in the lead up to. No, in the lead up to, you had a lot of factionalism. You had a lot of people quibbling back and forth. It mm-hmm. was as the actual depression hit. Now, this is not don't do not get this mistaken for some for an acceleration. You know, me, me wishing for accelerationism. No, I'm not no, no, saying no. that. I would prefer us not get to that point. But the thing, the time when, when it was most ripe to organize. Yeah. Was, when that point happens, we have to be ready. Exactly. Because capitalism is going to boom and bust. Because regardless of what we Exactly. Want. And because you're not going to be, once it busts, there's not going to be options for getting organizations set up and things like you're going to be fighting for survival. And when you're fighting for survival, you're, we, we, we don't have the, we don't have the, the, the material to fight capital at that point. They, mm-hmm. we know what happens when, when capitalism goes bust. Capitalists are great. They consolidate. They build everything up. They become stronger and harder to fight. We have to be organized and ready to poke at them when they are weak, which is as the collapse. When the collapse happens is when they're the weakest as it collapse, because then they are exposed for being what they are. And you have public anger on your side and you can leverage that into into something. But if you don't have your organization built by that point, you're fucked. Well, and we have numbers which should favor a war of attrition. But when the the market booms, they can win a war of attrition because they hold on to the resources. So we we have to be very, very prepared. Uh, So a good example of an organization. Uh, I know it's in uh, North Carolina is W-H-O-A-G-S-O is a good example of uh, they help, you know, people uh, lift them out of out of houselessness and help them in, in everyday life. Fuck yeah. um, that's that's the kind of thing. That's why the Black Panthers used to do that. And that's kind of another organization, you know, in that vein. So um, certainly, you know, that's a place to turn. Um, but, you know, anyone that works with food pantries, maybe maybe it is good that if we read Mount X because Mao will have some about when and how to build alliances strategically and then break those alliances um, without it being a right deviation. Unless, of course, you're talking about the deviation with the, the, the split with Russia, in which case don't. Right. Yeah. Don't do don't, that. Don't do that. That's <laughs> y'all want y'all, y'all want your time machine to go back and like kill Hitler. Fuck that shit. I, I, I want to go back and like, like just keep talking. Mal, please just don't. I know Khrushchev's a fuckhead. I get it. I know. I get it. It's just not please, it. please don't. Please don't do it. Look what's going to happen. Dude, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> um, but in the amount of time we've been able to uh, to song and dance us yes. uh, through that, through that very important stuff. Um, I figured out what Cartierism is. Oh, okay. Um, You're better at that than me then. I well well I try. Um so this is in a it's in a it's in a Daily Beast article. They're describing uh France doing France recently did some intervention in Mali and Libya that, that oh, okay. sparked people's interest in uh, their old colonial past. Ah, yes, um, yes, okay. So, so you get to, so, you know, I compare Mali and Libya because these two interventions paint a portrait of France that nearly everyone seems to take for granted. Whereas when you think about it, it is pretty surprising. Where and when have we seen a middle tier power act 
let alone twice in so short a span of time. Again, interventions in Mali and Libya. Um, as the first military line of defense on the side of law. What other example is there of a mid-sized country overtaking its larger partners, rushing past them as if they were timid elephants caught up in the loops of their of compromise and ending up not betraying them, but showing them the way forward and in so doing so, assuming leadership of an international coalition that aims to topple dictatorships. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Thus signifying the end of what in 1950 was known as Cartierism, a strain of thinking that stressed the unaffordability of colonial, post-colonial, and even hum- humanitarian involvements, as expressed in the phrase, the Corres, not the Zambezi. I assume the Corres is something in France where it's like, build roads here, don't go over there. Yeah. Which again, guys, history, it's a thing. It's a flat circle. It happens over and yeah. over well, again. Well, I mean, and he was talking about like, you know, how do they expect to do something in the colonial uh, countries that they can't do at home? Yeah. And it's a, it's a, it's thwarting on the left and on the right, a tendency that for some years now has been called sovereigntism, a mixture of isolationism and exceptionalism yeah. and non-interventionalism. A man's home is his castle at Others deal with their own problems. They're tyrants. They're tyrants. They're Taliban's. So basically, again, it was this concept that that they wanted to make people at people in think about it because people in the metropole. Yeah, we you see it here in America all the time. We don't voice it well enough, but it's there is a constant undercurrent of why the and and honestly, I'm happy because it's getting. I feel like it's getting louder every time we do a fun new military appropriations bill. (laughs) Is you are getting now a what could that have funded? kind yeah. of a fun little ex- experiment of oh, oh yeah well I mean you get that right you, people talk about like what about ism or, or they'll try to the argument yeah. that that we will tell them that that you know these concentration camp narrative is made up in, in Xinjiang and it is and it's evidence yes. free and and be like why are you believing the people that are ignoring a concentration camp on our border and why aren't we solving that anyway and people come back with uh, I guess if the US is bad that means China can't be bad too yeah yeah but the real thing is why why are you caring about that if we can't solve this yes you know and and so yeah I mean I I, I don't want to fall into whatever Cartierism is but there's obviously he's giving some like level to of course you know i mean how dare we say we can solve these problems in the colonial countries uh with our armies and with our imperialism if we can't do it at home well it's pretty agreeable well and there was this thought also that you could do it that you could do it economically that you could go in there and and i think that was a lot of what was you know you could go in there and set up humanitarian relief and then basically you know single-handedly built you know i think it's what bill gates thinks he's doing on a day-to-day basis of well if i just spend enough dollars i can make Everybody not in poverty. Bill, Bill Gates thinks he's doubling his net worth run- since retiring from Microsoft running a charity. Yeah, well, I, what Bill Gates says he's doing. I, and again, I, in in my fun example, I give Bill Gates the benefit of the doubt that he's not a sociopath. Yeah, um, that he's just doing a thing because he doesn't know what else you know. <laughs> but he is probably a sociopath, and we'll move on. I drove under his house. It was weird. Oh God. Yeah, I uh, I, and, I, and I will say too, uh, if that's referencing uh, 2011, um. Screw the Daily Beast example number nine thousand for pretending that France was alone. In February that February fifth, twenty thirteen. Oh yeah, so they were pretending France was alone in uh, in what the U.S. largely orchestrated. Although France was a big part of it. I mean, a big part of this was was coming off U.S. currency and and uh, uh, of course you know the the oil reserves and the strategic place. But a lot of it was the old French president um, having some trouble that was supposed to be covered up by Gaddafi. Uh, but yeah, France was not alone in toppling Gaddafi. That was some U.S. imperialism it, too. It, it, Run of the mill. This is this is very good. Um, this is a good sentence. I just I need everyone to know. French President uh, Francois Hollande has done in Mali what his president what his predecessor Nicolas Sarkozy did in Libya in the recent history of noble political gestures. There was also, of course, Francois Mitterrand's 1992 trip to besiege Sarajevo. Okay. Uh, and then the under the the headline of this article. The headline of the article is Bernard Henry Levy on France taking the lead in Mali. Subheadline. Bernard Henry Levy ruminates on the Mali intervention and how France is overtaking the U.S. as the principal guardian of human rights. Oh, God, fuck off. It, we, we fucking talk about it all. The thought yeah. terminating cliche. Yeah. Fucking human rights. Oh, human rights. oh, don't have to think anymore. Don't have to think. No more thinking. Thinking nope. disengaged. They said human rights. It's all good. Yeah. That's, oh, yeah, because I'm sure, the, I'm sure <laughs> they open said air. freedom and democracy. Open and air rights. slave markets. Yes. Human rights. Yes, yes. Life's good, guys. Back to Fanon. 
The disillusioned bitterness we find in Cartier when up against the obstinate determination of France to link to herself peoples which she must feed while so many French people live in one shows up the impossible situation in which colonialism finds itself when the colonial system is called upon to transform itself into an unselfish program of aid and assistance. God damn, that was a clear sentence, but holy run on Fanon. Yeah, yeah, I mean, editing is editing's fun. Yep. Uh, it is why, once again, there is no use in wasting time repeating that hunger with dignity is preferable to bread eaten in slavery. On the contrary, we must become convinced that colonialism is incapable of procuring for the colonized peoples the material conditions which it might make them forget for their concern for dignity. Once colonialism has realized where its tactics of social reform are leading, we see it falling back on its old reflexes, reinforcing police effectives, bringing up troops, and setting a reign of terror which is better adapted to its interests and its psychology. So again, you don't have to tell people, oh, you're being oppressed. It is better to starve but be free than yeah. be fed by these people. You just have to show them these people aren't solving your problem anyway. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah they're not it, actually feeding you. No. Yeah. Uh, inside the political parties and most often in offshoots from these parties, cultural and Cultured individuals of the colonized race make their appearance. For these individuals, the demand for a natural culture and the reaffirmation of the existence of such a culture represent a special battlefield. While the politicians situate their action in actual present-day events, men of culture take their stand in the field of history. Confronted with the native intellectual who decides to make an aggressive response to the colonialist theory of pre-colonial barbarism, colonialism will react only slightly, and still less because the ideas developed by the the uncolonized intelligentsia are widely professed by specialists in the mother country. It is in fact a commonplace to state that for several decades, large numbers of research workers have, in the main, rehabilitated the African, Mexican, and Peruvian civilizations. The passion with, with which native intellectuals defend the existence of their natural national culture may be a source of amazement, but those who condemn this exaggerated passion are strangely apt to forget that their own psyche and their own selves are conveniently sheltered behind a French or German culture, which is given full proof of its existence, which is uncontested. I'm ready to concede that on the plane of factual being, the past existence of an Aztec civilization does not change anything very much in the diet of a Mexican peasant of today. I admit that all proofs of this wonderful Shanghai civilization will not change the fact that today Songhais are, are underfed and illiterate thrown between the sky and water with empty heads and empty eyes. But it has been remarked several times that this passionate search for a national culture, which existed before the colonial era, era, finds legitimate reason and anxiety shared by native intellectuals to shrink away from that Western culture in which they are all at risk of being swamped because they realize that they're in danger of losing their lives and thus becoming lost to their people. These men, hot-headed with anger in their hearts, relentlessly determined to renew contact once more with the oldest and most pre-colonial springs of life of their people. Uh, so basically what he's saying there, because that is that is kind of a doozy of a paragraph. Yeah. Uh, it, what he's saying is, you know, of course, there are intellectuals of the colonized people who are saying, look, we were a good culture here. We were developed. We, you know, we invented brushing your teeth and and we invented, mm. you know, corn and, and, and oh. all of these things you, you believe that the West invented that, you know, chili and, and all these things. We invented that. And of course, there are some people in academia, even white people who admit to that just less passionately because they're not out to defend it. They're they're doing anthropology and they're like, oh, yes, these were truly developed people in the Mayan cultures. And we we are amazed by their star mapping and stuff like that. But they're known as niche people. And it's just kind of a niche interesting fact in academia it's not really defended and so these people are like kind of amazed about the passion the feeling the need to defend that these other people have right uh kind of flip it away from the decolonization to something that we understand as socialists let's say when we defend stalin right <laughs> there, please let's talk about defending stalin yeah i mean there's going to be academics like mark tauger mark tauger will go in and he's from uh, university of virginia i believe and he'll go in and he'll tell you holodomor's bullshit he can track how it was an actual famine and all that stuff, but he would probably call a lot of us tankies and be amazed how hard-pressed we are to defend Stalin and, and say how he's not an anti-Semite, not this, this killer, because he doesn't care about defending communism. He's just looking at it as an academic. Well, and I've seen that. I've seen that in, uh, in real, and by real world, I mean Discord. Um, but no, I mean, I've had uh, arguments in, uh, in Discord with people that 
the person the person I'm referencing specifically is a they they describe they're a, a Russian historian mm-hmm. that is their that's what they're doing right now yeah and they are de- they describe themselves as a Leninist Bolshevik like that's their that's their tendency is Leninist Bolshevism okay and I I kind of and and so. I, you know, it's just my way of it's how I get a feel for people. Is I kind of yeah. go, okay, all right, so let's 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 go over what you don't like. Okay, so yeah. what's your take on Stalin? Yeah. Oh, you think Stalin was generally speaking a shithead and authoritarian? Okay. What's your take on Holodomor? Oh, the Holodomor was a f- actual famine, but it was complete bullshit. It wasn't an artificially inflated thing. Okay, so like I so same vein. I can yeah. see that. Um, it just goes back to what is your foundation that you're building everything. I think it just goes to what, what is the things that you care about the most and what is the thing that you're most interested in building your foundation on? Yeah. So he's saying, you know, I mean, in first world academia and the French colleges and stuff, you know, the universities, they'll have people that are like, oh yeah, it was the Arab world that created mathematics, but they're not going to be passionate about it. It's just going to be like, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they happen to be the people of the Middle East and brought it over and, and I mean, even, even the concept of a medieval or a dark ages is very white supremacist. Oh, and yeah. in the same vein, because now not only are you talking about uh, a concept where there was no education, which is bullshit. I mean, they were always doing science and renovating and innovating for farming. Uh, they greatly brought along their own politics and economic uh, processes throughout Europe. So it's kind of ridiculous to call it a dark ages, uh, but also it ignores all the education discovery of the world around. It. I was about to say, mostly though, it's just a wildly Eurocentric piece of it's shit. Wildly Eurocentric because it just is a time where the, where the <laughs> Europe was completely and utterly surpassed by the. Oh yeah, the, but but. But it also world. brings about the idea of a renaissance and the renaissance. All they had to do is they went to kill some Muslims and because they went to kill some Muslims, oh, they got to trip into their knowledge. And so now they had oh. all their brilliant Europeanness and they were able to absorb these thousands, hundreds of years of knowledge and wham, bam, now we're all cut up. So now those Middle Easterners, now they're behind. Now, now we're the ones taking the reign. And so it's white supremacist in ways you don't even think on first blush. No. And it's speaking. Um, and it's just it's funny mm-hmm. because you talk about the renaissance so that takes me did you see the uh i think it was forbes published article and it may have been a couple weeks ago i don't know yeah. how i stumbled across it of uh families in florence they got the uh, tax records in florence no oh yeah well you were nodding so you could see how i was confused when you say no there yeah um, no, i was just like i'm listening I'm okay listening. okay i know i don't really not i know you're listening you have headphones on and you're required <laughs> to it's your job um but no the uh they they found uh tax and and again it's not the most what it's using surnames, but basically the most they, they uh, found tax returns from 1427 and compared them to the 2011 census. Yeah. And uh, the richest, like 20 families or 20 surnames in 1427 yeah. are the exact same richest 20 surnames in 2018. Oh, in 20- my it God. never, it never, like someone was trying to, someone was like, well, you know, generational wealth is actually a myth because it, it usually goes away after like two or three generations they found. And they're like, 1427 to now, same, no again, change. Yeah. No, and again, surnames, but in Italy, surnames actually follow their region on, they're far more likely to be passed down linearly. Sure. So that, sure. that actually yeah. is a better bet. But they've done studies where they show that that, that kind of shit goes on for, it's like something like 28 generations. Yeah. Inherited wealth will uh will have a, a lasting impact. So again, something to think about with, you know, when Harry Haywood's daughter is two generations removed from slavery, yeah. we've got about 26 more generations that that impact is going to be felt. Yeah. Uh, the, the, so sure. Mm, might have some might have some work to do. People. Sure. Absolutely. So. But anyway, you know, again, that was just uh, Fanon saying, you know, I mean, these people are defending themselves as very, very human. Um, and so, you know, there there's some rumblings in academics, but what they're doing is still important because they have the defense on the mind, but they're going to be put off as like some crazy, you know, rehabilitator of backwards cultures. And that's just not true. And and Fanon will yeah. get into where that's necessary and unnecessary. And, and so let's just jump back into that. Well, let's just jump into that next week because oh, we God damn it, we actually <laughs> only did like five pages again. I know. Well, we did a lot. We did a lot up top. So again, well, just, we just, did. We got like twenty five minutes of corrections. Just, so, just, yeah. just to recap things up top, uh, we will be putting a a poll up in the in the group chat for what we are going to uh, what we're going to be doing next. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say group chat, I mean Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> I'll uh, I'll pull the discords that I am in. You know where to find me if you're in the uh, if you want to find me if you're if you desperately want to yell at Nathan in a way that 
that he will engage with you back and forth because I'm the only one that's on the. I get to do it in a closet. You get to do it in a closet. Um, you, you uh, dumb and awful's Discord. Um, anyone can get in. Just show up. It's it's not hard to find. Um, mm-hmm. that's that is where you find me. Yeah. Um, um, for for anybody else who is either not on Discord or not on Twitter, of course we do have the Gmail MarksMadnessPod at gmail.com. Yep. Uh, if you have any comments or corrections, and uh, obviously it would be silly for the poll. So I was I was mostly joking when I brought it up, but a valid way to communicate with us if you need is our PO box. Yes. Which, uh, we will have links uh, uh, in the in the, the we will have links in the show notes for the PO box if yeah. you would like if you would like to do that. Yes. Um. That being said, also oh other other fun thing if you are interested in punishing me. If you think that I'm a bad person and you want to do mean things to me or you just want to make me read more than I already have to read um, right now through, I believe, January, this comes out on Christmas. Oh, fun. So right now through January 5th. (laughs) Any anyone who is an existing or new subscriber over at Dumb and Awful's Patreon uh, gets to pick a book under 300 pages that I have to read and then summarize like I did on their books episode. Yeah. Um, I also have full range to basically read the book and then decide that I think it's stupid and call you bad names. So know that that is the uh, that is the, the the line that you ride with it. But if you uh, if you desperately are like, hey, I want you to read this thing that you're not going to read. Go go pay them your their six dollars and sixty nine cents, and uh, and I will I will read that book for you as part of my punishment for getting a computer. Yeah, uh, a couple of the things that we missed on the top of the hour and the, the correction since Nathan did just mention it was just about Christmas. Holy crap! Uh, is that means that last week? Well, actually, yeah, last week would have been the the last one we came out with it. Um, we missed and we brought up defending Stalin as as a proxy for defending communism. Uh, now we missed Stalin Thomas Sankara's birthday. So happy we did birthday, happy. happy. Uh, well, we've we've never really missed Stalin's birthday because again, he is always above us, yes, looking yes. down on us as we as we do this. But we did definitely miss Thomas and Kara's birthday, and yes. God damn it, I poured out for a real one. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. In the same day, I mean, just revolutionary birthday. It is a very revolutionary birthday. Uh, and then also uh, something is a uh, common uh, frequent help in our corrections. Uh, rain. Rain, yes, yes, Comrade Rain, absolutely. Thank you. Um, um, we are, we don't do Patreon, we don't ask for money ever for anything ever, but we do strongly believe in mutual aid. So if you have any ability to spare anything at this time of year, and I get that that is an ask, but if you do, um, on our Twitter, there is link, uh, her, uh, uh, PayPal account is linked. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will in the show notes of this episode also link it. Um, it is, if you don't want to go to either of those two things, it is scienceman23 at gmail.com on PayPal, scienceman, all one word, 23 at gmail.com. Um, but again, if you have any ability to, to give it all, I, I know, I, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I can't imagine being in that position and, and I know we're, we're going to try and do everything we can to, mm-hmm. to help any way we can. And in that case, it's talking about it because that's all we're we're functionally good for is talking into microphones. I have found at this point in my life. <laughs> that being said, holy shit! Uh, this has been Mark's Madness. I'm Nathan. Yes, I'm David, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Yeah, bye.